0: Hey, Feisty friends, welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast, where each week we deliver trusted information for women who want to get the best from their bodies throughout their lives. Learn to feel and perform your best through our four pillars of performance physiology, nutrition, mental health, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, and this is a Feisty Media Production. Hi, Feisties. I hope everyone who's listening is having a fabulous day. Wherever you're listening, whether you are out for a walk or in the gym or a bike ride, or maybe you're doing chores at home, I thank you for choosing us to keep you company here at the feisty women's performance podcast so it it came up it actually came up in a meeting the other day with our team that there are some people who may not understand i mean understandably (laughs) what what we mean by high feisties and why i always address everyone this way on the podcast so i wanted to just take a minute and unpack that a little bit so um when i founded the company Four and a half years ago, we run a media company called Feisty Media, and one of the big things we do is produce podcasts. So this is our sixth podcast, sixth active podcast, eighth overall, and it's also the newest. But I was trying to look for a name for the company, and I did like this massive brainstorming thing. I had post-it notes all around the wall. Three days of this brainstorming, too. I called in friends who we sat around, like scratched our heads, puzzled, trying to find the right language is the right thing to encompass what we wanted to be as a company. And so one of the things I did, I'm a big fan of during this process, I'm a big fan of reclaiming language, you know, like taking language that has been used perhaps in a slightly derogatory way towards a certain group and using it in a more empowering way and actually changing the word and the way that the word is used in our culture because you see that happening a lot. So I sort of thought, okay, maybe I'll just Google some of the words that have been used disparagingly towards women and see if we can like turn the tides on that. So one of the words that came out of that was feisty. It just stood out for me right away, right? Because I loved it from both perspectives. Like I love that it was a reclaiming for anyone who had been called Like you're getting a little too feisty or who is too kind of argumentative as a child or a young person, even as, as adults. Um, women are all, often put down by being called feisty or too feisty, and just reclaiming that and saying, Hey, no, we are feisty. Like I am going to speak my mind. I'm going to try to find out the information that I need. We're going to keep doing that and keep moving forward. We, you know, we like to celebrate and we're not afraid to be loud and laugh loud and be our authentic selves. So for me, that's really what being feisty is all about. So when I say hey feisties, I hope that at least part of that will be relatable for you as well. I am personally super stoked for our interview today. It is with one of the most decorated obstacle course race champions in history. She's the four-time obstacle course race world champion. She's the three-time winner of the world's toughest mutter. She's a Spartan race world champion and more recently has become an ultra runner. Can anyone guess who it is yet? Our guest is Amelia Boone, and besides all these amazing accomplishments in sport, she is also a full-time corporate attorney at Apple. She has also spoken openly about her lifelong struggle with an eating disorder, which is something that we dive into pretty deep in the interview. To add to this long list of accolades, Amelia will be our opening keynote at the Women's Performance Summit this Friday, March 25th. So if you haven't signed up for this summit yet, I think you want to. Amelia is going to be talking about her various experiences, good and bad, that have shaped her success. And following her talk at the summit, I will also be hosting a panel entitled... One Size Does Not Fit All, Why We Need a Multidisciplinary Approach to Performance. At the panel, we'll discuss how real change comes through not siloing our experiences and our strategies, but recognizing that as humans, we need a multi-layered approach to get the best out of ourselves and of our bodies throughout our lifetime. So grab your summit tickets, if you haven't already, at womensperformance.com, and you can have access to the summit and the recordings all year long. But for today... I am thrilled to be sharing this fab chat with Amelia on how a fail on the monkey bars sparked her journey to obstacle course racing, the importance of always having fun, how she manages her routine, everything she learned from a, a lifetime living with an eating disorder, and eventually how she made the choice to live life to the fullest. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? And use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive, and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink-it and pink-it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with HEDA's. HEDA's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruz, and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Heddas at heddas.com and use the code feisty20 for 20% off. That's feisty20 at heddas.com and it will all be in the show notes. Hi Amelia. Welcome to the Women's Performance
1: Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So excited to have you. Okay. I wanted to ask first, are you training for anything right now? Uh, You know, I am training for a few things coming up. Uh, I have a hundred miler in June and then uh, just a, a variety of races over the summer and the fall and pacing people and crewing people and supporting people. So in other words, I'm training for life. I tell people
0: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a lot more than life. It's a hundred miler in the fall and this and that help. I was like, mm. <laughs> how many hours a week of training does, does that life training add up to?
1: Man, you know, I think running, it's probably about like 10 to 12 hours. And then I do a bit of cross training on my bike and on, I, I ride an elliptigo, and so, mm-hmm. and then strength training. So I would say maybe total with like physical therapy exercises and all that kind of stuff, 15 to 20 hours. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's reasonable. <laughs> just
1: yeah. that it's says. just like a little part-time
0: job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just a part-time job on the side. Uh, okay. Yeah. I want I'm super curious about the obstacle course uh, yeah. racing. Um, you're a four-time world champion at it. And I, like I was a professional triathlete and then I mm-hmm. took up CrossFit after, you know, so there's something, I don't have a lot of time for racing right now, but there's something in the back of my head that's like, Hmm, maybe I could like do an obstacle course race or whatever. How did you get into that? Yeah,
1: I think, I think I got into it like so many other people in terms of you have a coworker or friend who comes up and says, Oh, look at this really cool race. We should do this. And you're like, yeah. Okay. And, um, so it was actually one of my coworkers when I lived back in Chicago. Um, and, uh, he was like, we should get a team together and do this thing called the tough mudder. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even know at the time I'd never run 10 miles before in my life, like consecutively, Uh, so, and I, so I didn't even know if I could do that, let alone like all the upper body strength things. And I haven't been on like monkey bars since I was a kid (laughs) and we went out there and we ran it. And if my workers go, well, that was fun. Let's move on to the next thing. And I was like, there's something about this. It was just Mm -hmm. this weird mix of running, but then you have to be strong to be able to lift and carry things and to get yourself up over walls. And I just liked the challenge of it. It was, and so I stuck with it.
0: Yeah. You had me at monkey bars, (laughs) like like any, any race that includes a monkey bars.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's just interesting because it does require this kind of discipline. CrossFit was great. I did a lot of CrossFit back Mm -hmm. when I first started training for it because it was that kind of that
0: all around athleticism that you needed. Yeah. I wanted to ask about your training Mm -hmm. for it. Like when you, so from that time, when you did the first one, the 10 mile one with how long until you were world champion and and what's the training (laughs) like, like, is this a quick turnaround? I'm guessing. Uh,
1: It was was about a year and a half. Uh,
0: (laughs) That's a quick turnaround.
1: Yeah. Well, and to to be fair, the sport was just starting at the time, you know, Mm -hmm. so it was something that was like fairly new. Um, But I just, I remember the first race I got up on the monkey bars and I immediately fell off, like after doing a few runs, I'm like, wait, what? I don't have the strength to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. So I threw myself just in kind of training to like master this kind of stuff. And so I got really specific on, I want to build this upper body strength. I want to build this grip strength. And then I also want to be able to carry heavy things. And so it kind of became this it was like, I had an, I was, my ego was crushed when I first did it. And then I Mm -hmm. wanted to come out and avenge
0: that. (laughs) Well, and avenge you did Mm -hmm. (laughs) apparently. Um, So like specifically, like, do you do, like, how do you balance the strength training and the cardio piece? Like what are the, how much time per week do you spend? Would you have spent then? Yeah,
1: I I think it's different for everyone. Um, I primarily, I was doing, I think at that point I was doing CrossFit like five days a week. Mm-hmm. And then I would run maybe two to three days a week, not long distance. Um, and I, so I actually didn't do that much running. Um, I, I shifted my training later on to be way more running heavy just because I learned how much that I just enjoyed running as mm-hmm. a discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when I moved to a place with beautiful trails and outdoors and the nature. And I just was like, I want to be outside and not in a gym. Mm -hmm. And, um, so now, I mean, I, I now primarily focus on ultra marathon distances and pure running, but I still do a few obstacle races every year. Mm -hmm. And so I keep that strength component. I just more find a way now to do it kind of outside in nature, uh, as opposed to like having to be in a gym all the time. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay. So like, are you like, like lifting rocks and stuff? Like what what is that? What does that look (laughs) like? (laughs) You definitely
1: could. Uh, I mean, you, you can absolutely carry a log to the top of a mountain if you want. Uh, I mean, no, I mean, I'll do a run and then I'll finish up at a playground and playgrounds are Mm. actually wonderful places. So like pull-ups and push-ups and, Uh, just like doing the monkey bars at the playground. And so making Mm -hmm. it more of an aspect of play for me versus like a, I have to go to the gym and work on this because I just find that my, I have such a much better relationship with like exercise and movement and my body when I'm out in nature, um, Mm -hmm. and experiencing it there.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. I I'm feeling you because I do I also do CrossFit like 3 or 4 times a week, but I, and I run trails, like those are kind mm-hmm. of my two main things. So I yeah. like, every if I've gone to CrossFit two or three days in a row, like I just need to go outside. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Uh, what does your schedule look like? I know that you're a full-time lawyer with mm-hmm. Apple, like how do you fit your training into your schedule?
1: Yeah, so I have always been a morning person and to me Training in the morning is kind of like brushing my teeth and that I just don't feel like it it is how I get my day going. And Mm -hmm. so I have always been an early riser. I'm up probably about 4.30 a.m. And then I train before work. And so then I'm like ready to go. Uh, I'm working remotely now, which is great um, since I don't have the commute. Um, But I'm ready to go by like 8 a.m. for the day. And then a few times a week, like there will, I'll do like a, a, evening session that's either a super short run or some type of like bike ride or some type of strength training. Um, but primarily it's six days a week, one full rest day, mm-hmm. uh, long run on like really long run on Saturday and then like a longish run on Sunday and then yeah, doing just fitting that all around work as well. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And so with that kind of early riser type routine, like, do you ever get sluggish in the middle of the day or are there things that you do to sort of stop that? I have been lucky in that
1: I I stopped napping when I was about two years old.
0: I remember my mom
1: being like, can you just nap? Um, (laughs) But so I think that I've I've never, never gotten super sluggish, but I do try and schedule in like an outside, like walk during the middle of the day, just Mm -hmm. to get out for like 20 minutes, um, kind of like break up the day. Move a little bit because I do. I sit in front of a desk all day long. Um, right. I'm on my computer all day. And so just trying to be able to like uh, change that position a little bit is important for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you play sport as a child? I played team sports. So right. I was very much, I was pretty good at everything I touched. I was good at soccer and softball. Softball was actually my main sport. I pitched. Um, but I, you know, I stopped kind of in high school, um, and didn't play in college, but The one thing people knew about me is that I had an engine. Is that we would play about four soccer games a day in a tournament, and I was Mm -hmm. still the kid at the end of the day who could still be running around and not tired. So it should have been a cue to me that endurance athletics were kind of in my future at that point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And when you, I read this morning. um, I actually read quite a few articles about (laughs) you this morning, Um, and I read somewhere about how you sort of developed the eating disorder in high school and Mm -hmm. college, and that was big part of why you didn't play sport. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you tell us like a bit about that part of your life? Yeah.
1: So I, you know, and it's funny because when people do ask me about, about, oh, did you play sports growing up and things like that? And I say, yeah, I did. And I was good. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, I was 15, I developed an eating disorder and I got very, very sick very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that at the time people didn't really know what was going on. I had dealt with obsessive compulsive disorder as a youth. And so they are from a very young age. I think I was diagnosed when I was seven or eight. And um, so they just kind of thought that maybe my fears around food were related to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I was hospitalized my sophomore year of high school and I missed an entire year of sport, um, really. And because I just wasn't in a position to play, I was, I was too sick. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's hard. And then when I kind of like got into a solid state or a more solid state of recovery, I kind of wanted to go back to sport, but I had just found at that point that like all the other girls had gotten so much better than me, you know, because like, Mm -hmm. I just, I missed a key developmental phase and it was hard for me. It was very hard for my ego to like, want to go back to sport. Mm -hmm. And then to realize that that time away and the damage that I had done to my body and not feeding it properly were already kind of like dampening my athletic pursuits at that point.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I know that um, you've been very open about your eating disorders. And like, I feel grateful for people like you who are leaders who have talked about that stuff, because I think it's very relatable. I've seen it in our, like, active communities and at our Women's Summit last year, too, like just people creating an open environment, we can talk about that stuff, and then realizing, oh, like, to some extent, the that intersection between mental health and the cultural things that we're taught about who we are as women, the things that we internalize, like a lot of us experience the same things, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the same pressures. Do you, have you thought at all about like, why, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I know it's probably like very complicated, yeah, and unable to answer, but like, how did you as a 15 year old end up in that yeah. place?
1: You know, it's, that is like the $64,000 question. I think I've spent mm-hmm. so many years trying to figure that out. And honestly, the, the answer for me is different than probably than the 99% of people who go into eating disorder or who go into who develop an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I was never pressured, you know, to lose weight. I was always a slender kid. I was always in a smaller body. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I had a very high internal perfectionistic anxious side that, then kind of used food as a coping mechanism to kind of mm-hmm. deal with my anxiety. Yeah. And, um, and so I've also like, kind of dealt with some guilt around that because I don't, I don't necessarily know why I developed it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, it's like, I, I always have parents reach out to me and ask me like, okay, well, like what can we do to stop our daughter, our son from developing an eating disorder? Mm-hmm. And I go, look, I had phenomenal parents. I didn't have diet culture in my house. I didn't have, they were never on diets. They were never pushing me to lose weight or anything like that. And I still developed an eating disorder. So sometimes like it, it, you just, it just happens. You can't predict it, you know? And you, so you can't really feel guilty about it, Mm -hmm. um, in some ways.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's any relationship to, like you said, you were 15 to like puberty and kind of your body changing quickly too?
1: Yeah. You know, I, um, I don't, it could have been, I don't remember that being a conscious kind of thing. Cause I also was a late bloomer. I don't even think at that point I was, had gone through puberty
0: right? or I
1: was, I was just, I, I I remember, I think I got my period right when I was like 15. And so Mm -hmm. hadn't really gone through all of the changes. Um, but I know, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing. Um, and then that also, and it's a really poor time in your life to not be feeding yourself appropriately as well. Um, cause mm-hmm. just like the damage that it can do. So,
0: yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And I read somewhere that, you were like some of the things you would say to yourself as an athlete too later on, like mm-hmm. you had different, a different diet or eating patterns because you're an athlete or it's okay to compare your body to other female athletes mm-hmm. um, or to cover their abs because that's what women do. Like, yeah, do you think, and I'm going to ask this question in a positive sense too, Yeah, ask it like first here. Like, do you right. think that sometimes sport gives women who struggle with body image or eating disorders or any like those types of mental health issues, a place to hide.
1: Absolutely. Um, And that's actually where I was (laughs) that. So I think there are two, two kinds of things that happen with is that sport can cause the development of or sport can contribute to the development of eating disorders Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Somebody who's predisposed to eating disorders may also be predisposed to sport as a way to. Justify it or to take it out in a different context, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or to hide their eating disorder.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think I would probably fall more into the latter. It didn't, um, you know, it that part didn't though develop until I think later on into my late 20s, early 30s when I started competing as an athlete. Mm
0: -hmm. When I
1: started, when I thought I was in a good place of recovery, and then I started, you know, doing obstacle racing and I started like being on magazine covers and kind of looking at my body and then being like feeling these external pressures that I had never really felt before. And in Mm -hmm. some ways those started to trigger my eating disorder to like to take hold again. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's this, so it's this weird relationship then that you're like, well, how do I untangle sport from this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and how do you make <laughs> right? <laughs> so I mean, no, it's uh, it's it's not perfect, and I think about it almost every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually the big, it was the main reason that I went back into eating disorder treatment. You know, I was thirty five years old. I had was just coming off of my fourth world championship, and I didn't. You know, I, I did not know if i could somehow like if i if if i could untangle the eating disorder from my love of running or from mm-hmm. my love of sport mm-hmm. was it something that i was going to be able to do healthily and at the same time what i knew was that me not being able to appropriately feed myself was resulting in so many injuries that were preventing me from getting to the start line so i hated the fact that i couldn't compete and also I didn't even know if competing was healthy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went into treatment you know, I went to a facility that specifically like works with athletes and mm-hmm. it was an exploration of these, of these um, motivations and looking at like, how do you feel when you go out for a run? What are you thinking about? And things that I kind of learned myself is that I would run regardless, like if somebody told me. Running will never change the shape of your body. It doesn't burn calories. Actually, you may gain weight if you run. And I'd be like, great, I'm going to go for a run. Mm -hmm. There would be other forms of exercise or movement that I wouldn't do, you know, that those would be more disordered for me. So like, that's one of the reasons that I've gotten out of the gym as much as possible, because that is a place where it really feels like the only reason I'm going there is to like change the shape of my body, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's just like being brutally honest with yourself Yeah,
0: and, and it's that's, hard. Uh, that's a real skill too, right? Like that yeah. level of self-knowledge to distance yourself from your own thoughts and be able to sort of perceive them, right. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, where does this thought take me? <laughs> you know, yeah. and do I want to own that or do I want to think something different? Exactly. And it's like, why, why am I doing the
1: things that I do? You know, why, why do I want to sign up, sign up for this hundred miler versus running a ten k, for instance? And like, look mm-hmm. at like the underlying motivations there, and are those tied to some type of disordered eating or like disordered thought process, or are those actually like good intrinsic motivations that fill you and your soul, you know? Yeah. And the, the problem is, is the answer is different for everyone. <laughs> That's why it's so hard.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and did have you ever? felt like in recovery that you are choosing to live kind of thing or finding reasons to live. Oh,
1: no, I I get what you're saying. I mean, I think that everything about recovery is this idea for me that um, everything about recovery is this idea for me that I want to live life to its fullest. And Mm -hmm. the eating disorder was actually kind of keeping me in this safe box where Mm -hmm. I was, it was calming my anxiety to, you know, stay within it. But like, anytime I tried to like venture out or like, or recover, it'd be super anxious. And I would want to like hide back in the box. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, recovery every day is like choosing to kind of like push those boundaries and to live more fully and Mm -hmm. to do things in opposition to, you know, what, like what the voices in my head sometimes tell me to do, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So in what ways have your sport now ultra running, like mm-hmm. and and before obstacle course racing been, like how have they been helpful for your recovery or for your life in general? Like and it informed yeah. your body image. Like I, I, I know it's like, it's so intertwined you know. Yeah. And, and I don't want to always ask the negative question. Right. <laughs> so like, of course, like sport is amazing. Like you talked earlier about getting outside, like in right. what ways does it help you live better?
1: Absolutely. I think I realized um, that w- one of the main things that has helped me is that, to be able to run a hundred miler or to be able to run an ultra, like you have to feed yourself properly. Your body is just not going to, to deal with the training and the racing with that. And I think for me there, I realized that when I have a big goal, like I want to do this, I want to run for 24 hours. Like I need to take care of my body. And so sometimes (laughs) it almost gives me that motivation to be able to like eat when I don't feel like it, or if I feel, you know, and so that definitely does, you know, it it definitely helps in that regard of like having that. But the flip side of, is that, is that, you know, if you get injured, et cetera, et cetera, are you still able to take care of yourself without your sport? And then that's where it gets pretty tricky. You know, I know for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. I want to go a bit of a different direction because we, um, like we talk a lot about female physiology, you know, Mm -hmm. and have you ever tracked your cycle or trained with your cycle at all?
1: You know, I've just
0: started to do that. I'm I'm 38 years old. Yeah. And this is, and it's, oh, I know we didn't have information 10 years ago, you know? (laughs) Well,
1: I mean, and, and honestly, I, I have had a hormonal IUD since I was 25. Mm. And so, I didn't have, you know, like it, at first it's, it started to take away my period, you know, for longer than I had it, which for me, I was like, Ooh, great. You know, like, I don't have to worry about a period when I'm running for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And also it made it much more trickier to know, like, would I be having a period if it wasn't for this IUD? Right. Am I losing my cycle and not knowing it? Mm. Um, and so for me, it's, I've had to work with an endocrinologist and do a bunch of labs at different times of months to like figure that all out. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, this is a, this is a new realm for me. And it's kind of, I love that people are talking about this now because I didn't even know that this was a thing ten years ago. Um, yeah, I don't think
0: anybody did, you know, it's like roar right. by Stacy Sims. It was published like what, seven years ago or so, mm-hmm. like before that, it was like a wasteland. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it really, I went through an egg freezing procedure, uh, a few months ago, which then kind of like gave me a baseline of like, okay, well, this is when my cycle mm. starts, et cetera, et cetera. And so now like I can track that and know, and, uh, I, I, it hasn't been long enough for me to have any type of useful info, but right. it's, uh, it's, I'm glad people are doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's like I, I feel like I'm just kind of too late for it to, yes. <laughs> for it to help me. I know, it's right? Like, it's sometimes good to know if I'm having an off day that like <laughs> that there's a reason it's not me.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it just that it's yeah. There's more. There's more awareness around it now, and that coaches are paying attention to it as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've also I read also that you've been called the queen of pain. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to talk a bit about suffering and like, yeah. if you have, like, it does seem like you're very mentally strong. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have advice around that kind of, so I know a lot of people want to know like how to push through when it's hard, how to be mm-hmm. motivated, you know, even to get out the door, what's your advice on that stuff?
1: Yeah. I think that my, my biggest thing is always like, if you look at the grand totality of something, you're going to get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to run 100 miles and you're on mile two and you're like, oh my God, I have 98 more miles to go. It's overwhelming. So for me, I've always mm-hmm. just been like, just focus on like the next mile ahead of you, the next 10 minutes. There are times in, in obstacle racing when you're carrying like a 60 pound bucket up the mountain. And I literally just focus on putting one foot in front of the other. And so in terms of like the building, the toughness, I think that my biggest like mind trick is just like cut off the, the future and the past and just focus on the now and cut it into little chunks. Um, And so it's like for people, it's like, if it's hard to get out the door in the morning when it's negative two degrees outside or whatever, you know, and then it's just like. Just tell yourself you're going to go out for five minutes and see and and see how it is, and then like just the act of getting going. That inertia is the hardest part for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and then you know I you said you take more pride in your DNF at the Barclays Marathons, um, which I get. Like everyone, right? The Barclays, yeah, yeah. Let's first talk about what the Barclays Marathon (laughs) is, um, yes, and then and then I'll ask the question.
1: Yeah. So the Barclay Marathons is a uh, race in Tennessee. That's technically they call it hundred miles, but it's probably more like 120. There is no, you know, there, there is no course, there's no course markings. There's no course map. There is one course map that you mark down, you run around the woods and you find these 13 books that tell you that you actually completed the loop. No woman has ever finished. There's been 13 finishers in the history okay. and it's been going on for close to like 30 years at this point. So okay. yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those races where everybody goes into it and they know it's like a 99% failure rate. Um and so you have to put all ego aside. <laughs> and
0: and are you going to do it again?
1: Uh not this year, but hopefully. Hopefully, okay. yeah. Soon. Okay.
0: Okay, and you said that you were more pri- took more pride in that DNF than you did in mm-hmm. wins. Like how did you get to that place? Yeah. I think I spent so many
1: years as an athlete worried that the only way I could prove my worth is through winning. Um like mm-hmm. my personal worth. Um so I entered obstacle racing, I immediately rose to the top of the sport and I won everything. And for a good 5 years I won literally everything. Mm-hmm. And I became terrified of what happened the day that I stopped winning. Mm-hmm. And um, so my entire self worth was wrapped up in like, if I don't win, are people going to respect me? Are people going to like me? Um, and um, I had to really kind of detach my self worth from my results as an athlete. Mm-hmm. And so to be proud of something like DNFing is a very strange thing, I think, for mm-hmm. an athlete. Somebody who's very focused but taking on races like, like Barkley, uh, like last man standing races that I've done where there is such a high failure rate kind of force you to be like, well, all right. You know, like y- you didn't win, you didn't even finish, mm-hmm. but did you enjoy yourself? Did you have a good experience and what did you learn? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like all we can really hope for as athletes
0: sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great insight. Um, okay. You said earlier, you decided to freeze some eggs. Yes. Uh, right. Where, uh, what, what brought you to that decision?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I have always been undecided about children. Um, like I just, I always thought at some age I would know mm-hmm. that whether or not I wanted children. And I found myself this past year at like 37 um, and I was single out of a real, uh, out of a relationship and just like, well, I mean, I, I, at some point I'm going to run out of time to decide. And Mm. if I want children or not, like biology is going to make that choice for me. And I'm super fortunate that my employer has benefits um, for egg freezing and IVF and things like that. So after the end of my season this past year, I just, I made the decision that I was going to go through with it. Um, Mm. And it's kind of a scary thing, I think, because as a runner, you have to give up running for several weeks, which isn't the end of the world, but also, you know, you're injecting yourself full of hormones and
0: yeah.
1: it's, you know, we could potentially, it causes changes in your body. You feel like you're five months pregnant. And, um, mm-hmm. so it was, uh, but I think for me, I just, I said it had been on my mind for long enough and, um, that I didn't want to foreclose the opportunity, um, mm-hmm. for sure.
0: Yeah. That sounds smart. Mm-hmm. Where do you, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh goodness. Uh,
1: (laughs) I hope to still be out there competing like I do um, at whatever level that is that fills my soul and that I'm able to. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if anything, we've recently seen, you know, that especially female endurance athletes into their forties are still peaking. Mm -hmm. And that gives me a lot of hope. Um, and I don't know, I've, I've always been of the mindset that my best days as an athlete are still ahead of me and I still believe that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, I just, I want to be one of those people that's like seven years old and, and running ultra marathons still. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think it's like, it's just kind of, if you keep moving, yeah, keep doing things like I see it with like, I'm 40, I'm almost 46 now. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just starting to get to that age where. I can see how that matters, you know. Mm-hmm. Like if I haven't gone and tried to do a handstand push-up in a couple months, like mm-hmm. it's just a little bit harder than it was oh, five yeah. years ago. Just to go, okay, now I need to go upside down, yeah, <laughs> to do this thing. Like, and so I just I see that where it's like, okay, if we just keep moving as we age, mm-hmm. it, it we can keep like the strength and the that. Fitness. Absolutely,
1: and then also just giving ourselves grace too, you know, mm-hmm. like you, like. I'm never going to be as fast as I was when I was like, you know, 30, for instance, but yeah. like, okay, I'm not going to be as fast, but I can run longer. And that doesn't, do I still, en- and I still enjoy it regardless, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just think I, I, there's something so humbling about aging as an athlete, but also like really, really cool because you figure out what actually matters and then what doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> right. Right. what does it mean for you to, to sort of like perform, like what does performance mean to you? Like day mm-hmm. in, day out? What would be your indicators of like I'm per- performing's kind of a it's the word that we're using, but yeah, um, like how would you if you were gonna audit a day and say today was a good day, what would be the indicators of that? Uh,
1: well, first of all, it would it would it would start with good sleep. Um <laughs> good <one. laughs> I
0: good think start.
1: I think I think sleep is sleep is key there. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, it's, it's mainly about a feel about how I feel about what my mindset is. Um, and just, and, you know, it's not necessarily like, how did my run go? Like, did I, did I nail that workout, but more like, did I enjoy it? You know, mm-hmm. and do I feel rested? Do I feel, you know, relatively injury free? you know, we all have niggles and stuff that we deal with and like, am I enjoying, is my brain space in a place where I'm like enjoying the athletics, but then I'm also like enjoying life outside of athletics as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's really just about having energy to be able to devote to like a number of things um, Mm -hmm. beyond just like, man, I nailed those training sessions, but I'm exhausted right now and I can't do anything else.
0: Yeah. I love that multi-layered way of thinking about how we, Live, you know, like the mm-hmm. way we talk about our performance pillars: physiology, nutrition, mental health, and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, which you are going to speak at our Feisty Women's Performance yeah. Summit, um, March 25th. You'll be our opening keynote on the Friday night. So, what can we expect to hear from you at the summit?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think a little bit of all those things um, mm-hmm. because I've I've had that experience of being a, you know, elite level athlete while maintaining a full-time career, and then also going through all the mental health struggles that come with it, the mental health struggles and like the physical health struggles that go with it through injury, you know, through, um, through disorder and recovery and things like that. So a really just kind of a summary and things that I have learned and how you navigate that, like that intersectional world.
0: hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I know I'm looking forward to it. Um, Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Absolutely, Um, really fun. And thanks again for like sharing your story with the world, Um, being a champion athlete, and such a great, um, do you call it, mentor for so many people. Thank you so much. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tifosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tifosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They are shatterproof, poly-bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy, the more you sweat. So they are secure and don't slide down your face. Even when you're running in hot conditions, no matter what sport you do, Tefosi has shades for you, whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to TafosiOptics.com and use the code FM20, FM as in feisty media, to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at TafosiOptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you.